for 25 years. Nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Man, just nostalgia. Nostalgia. Is that what you feel it? You talking about Berlin? Uh, Yeah. That's one way to put it. (laughs) Honestly, looking out here, we're right on the line of the wall. This is fucking awesome. We're in Berlin right now. For those of you who don't know, we are in Berlin, Germany. We are literally in Berlin. It's my motherland. Fatherland. Whatever it is, it's a land. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it is very surreal uh, to be here. Our, our travels have brought us here, and welcome yes. to the all Q&A Relax Fit episode. That's it. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is the Relax Fit Last podcast on the left. I want to thank everyone who submitted questions. We had many of them, and they were all wonderful. And we did have, I am Ben, number one. That's Marcus and Henry, of course. Yeah. And uh, uh, also thanks to everyone who came out to our live shows. This is our final day of the tour. We're recording this on Wednesday, so we have one more show tonight, and we cannot wait to perform for the Germans. I mean, we had a lot of hecklers. In uh, Stockholm, which was what, fun. We, we had fun. Yeah, we no, had you fun had hecklers. one heckler who was heckling you about aliens, which was the nerdiest heckle we've ever had. It's a gravity well. I know. I was like, well. I know. I know. Because it's hard. Because the show, the live show, as if those of you who have seen it know, it's a little broader yes. than our recorded episodes, and so it's hard to get to the true nuts and bolts. It was truly amazing. Henry has never been heckled because Henry does an alien segment. I do a wrestling segment. Marcus does a conspiracy, and during Henry's wrestling segment. Or during Henry's alien segment, a dude really wanted to make a point about gravitational pull of UFOs. He, it was he was obviously it was a correction that he decided <laughs> that he wanted to give me in the middle of my spiel, <laughs> and it's very difficult to address and it. And Henry just looked at him and be like. This is not a TED Talk. Like, this is still a comedy show. <laughs> Thankfully, he uh, stopped interrupting at that point. But anyway, let's get to some of these emails. Thank you all once again for submitting. It's fun to think. It's fun to analyze ourselves, isn't it? Isn't a it? little bit. There were some. Bit. There were some questions where I was like, "That's triggering." That well, there was that a lot. Of, feel a little bit weird. There was a lot of like, "Can Ben Kissel read?" Which was really fun. <laughs> that was <laughs> nice. And I'm like, technically, yes, I can read very, very well. In order to speak this much, you have to be able to read. It's a bit. 
They don't want to admit it. They don't want to admit it because technically it's a it's a it's a testament to my amazing acting skills. Wow, <laughs> you actually have become more of a shapeshifter. Yes, indeed. I did a Boris Johnson impression during the live shows, and, and I must say, Henry, he's taking look, the state down. <laughs> look out, buddy! There's a new actor in town, and okay. he's big and he's beefy. Oh, I want to put it in my will where you have to do that Boris Johnson at my funeral. Because <laughs> it is my new favorite thing. I think about it and I laugh <laughs> when I need a little bit of a giggle. My baby Marcus, I'll be dead long, long before you. <laughs> Man, who knows though? Who knows? Who knows? Now, with these first questions, we want to do. So we had many, many questions. So we wanted to boil down, like, we got the more specific questions. But yes. we want to address a couple ones that a lot of people ask that we're going to kind of hit. Up top. Yes. And one that I, I mean, the first one up, which I think we have addressed many times in other mediums, but so many people have asked it via email that I think that we should just do it real quick. Let's do it. Which is, how did the boys meet? That's it. So it's been, it's actually kind of an interesting story. Uh, We all obviously met in New York City, coming from different walks of life. Uh, Marcus was I was introduced to Marcus by a comedian named Mike Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you all might know Mike Lawrence. He's a great roaster, mm-hmm. and he's also a great writer. He's it, a good man. And at the time, Mike was living in my cellar. So he intru- introduced me to Marcus because Marcus was doing a program called Portrait of a Comedian. Mm. And yes. indeed, Marcus was like, Ben, you're just fat enough to be on the show. And I was like, <laughs> thank you, Marcus. Well, it was, a co- it was a show where I would go out and I would uh, record local like New York City comedians live uh and then interview them afterwards and i got to yeah i got to interviews like so many like cool dudes that are now like pretty famous like yeah. back then it was like you know like rory scoble camille nangiani mm-hmm. uh donald bu- glover like those people did you ever meet him by then that he- was he was i came into the scene right after he broke he like, became right famous after. immediately yes. yeah he well, became donald, famous donald but, like glover. michael che like yep. nine months in interviewed that guy like that there was a lot of cool dudes that are now like pretty big in the comedy world that i got to interview back then and, and ben was one of those guys it's completely insane the class that we came up with in hindsight now that we can reflect a little bit on the 15 years mm-hmm. mark yeah, norman as well mark yeah. norman when it comes to donald glover he was actually uh, actually in a sketch group called derek Derek mm-hmm. and uh, it was he and two other or three other people two other guys and they were wonderful um, and we got to meet him a few times and I have to just say he was incredibly nice always and he, now he is childish Gambino his rap is like he's like unreal talented no he's very talented he's like I, unreal talented. we didn't understand the breadth of his talent at the time and now you're like ah, I see <laughs> you were holding back the fact that he was remotely <laughs> kind to us is like ah yes. well thank you so much and so I oh, so, uh, you so guys I spoke met, with Marcus but, but Kissel and I had already been hanging out like we were already drinking yes we were drinking buddies i i will say marcus and i bonded over our mutual love of sasha gray mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and our mutual love of really disgusting horror films specifically cannibal holocaust yep. so we bonded over <laughs> sasha gray and cannibal holocaust and then henry and i we met because you were in an incredible sketch group uh, called Murder Fest. Yes, and you lived with Holden McNeely, who was also like we were all were writing Murder Fest, and we also took over your entire apartment by turning into a rehearsal space, and you loved it. You I really loved did. Being, oh, you really did. I did until about the last year, yeah, because it was about nine years of every night. It was rehearsal, <laughs> rehearsal uh, for Murder Fest, which you guys did rehearse, but then there was also just a lot of drinking, a lot of drinking, a lot of chain smoking inside, a lot of, chain smoking inside, yeah. a lot of yeah. drugs. Yeah. <laughs> 
but we did that inside the apartment. But I think that that's a, a one thing that people talk about on the show, being like, this is, it really did start pretty naturally. It did. We were all just comedians, and then I was quickly introduced to Marcus within that time period because, because of Portrait of a Comedian, mm-hmm. and also just hanging out and getting fucked up. And then we di- it did do the thing of, I remember it was one specific night, we were watching horror movies at Marcus's house, mm-hmm. and we were just ripping bongs. It yeah. was Butterball. one of those. Yeah, it was yeah. Butterball. Butterball, best bong in the world. Butterball yeah. actually ended up getting broke at a party that Marcus had, and in or- this is the perfect Texan revenge. <laughs> he said... You can get out of here. You can leave. But I'm keeping your shoes. You kept the man's shoes and made him walk home barefoot because he broke your bong. Butterball was the perfect bong. <laughs> it was a gift from a close friend that it had been broken in for years. It was the it, it would like gave the perfect hit every time. I it loved did. Butterball. So much back when I smoked weed, I don't anymore. But yeah, Butterball was the perfect hit. And uh, I I, he was like, "I'm so sorry, man." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me your shoes." <laughs> Fucking shoes. That was back when you were true authoritarian. You were strong. You were a strong party leader at the time. True. But we were very. So I, I'm, I want people like to maybe understand. Maybe we haven't explained. It's like we were already doing comedy. We were doing stuff yes. to the point where Marcus was interviewing us, acting as if we knew what the fuck we were talking about. Yeah, and I was in radio. Like I was not in comedy. Like for me, comedy was just like a path into radio because right. I never once like thought comedy was going to be any sort of career path for me. Like yes, pa- comedy yeah, it was, was a just, dead end. It was yeah. a fucking suicide trap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, comedy. It is. Was, yeah, comedy was just a total accident because I had applied to a. Uh, I had applied to a job at the onion like an internship at the onion on a lark and it just so happened that they were looking for a guy for onion radio news yep. and then through that is where i kind of p- got put on the track to comedy that eventually led me to fucking berlin and for me i knew so i i would go and visit uh the apartment that holden lived with which uh with uh carly and uh with our friend cap and i just knew i had to get into that apartment so a room opened up and I waited six months, and I was able to move in, and that was the biggest moment of my life because I just, as soon as I saw Murder Fist, I was like, I need to be friends with these guys. Yeah. But then I was truly, we were truly friends. It wasn't like a made-in show business, like because we don't schmooze. We're not good schmoozers because oh, it's we're kind loud. Of, it's called, uh, it's fucked with our careers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> we just don't know how to like tell someone that they're not a fucking jackass if they're being a jackass. Um, but that was maybe the biggest moment of my life was getting to meet Murder Fist and, and honestly just learn your process and follow you in your careers because at that point Murder Fist was the crim the crim the top sketch group in maybe the country it was right as right when you didn't again you didn't have to go to comedy school in order to be in a sketch comedy group when you just used to be a group of guys or a group of a a bunch of people would get together and they would look at their influences and try to copy them which is what we did for years trying to copy Mm -hmm. Mr. Show until I got my heart broken by sending sketches to Bob Odenkirk and he said that I was garbage (laughs) (laughs) which is fun not to defame anyone but all of us have had a moment with some of our idols and we realized that uh, not always don't always meet your idols. No, no, that's no, all no. I'll yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I was the same way with Murder Fist as well. Like when I saw Murder Fist for the first time, like it was dark, weird, funny, original. Like it was everything I always wanted. Like in a comedy group, and I was the yes. same way. It's like for me, it was like I like I have to work with these guys. Like I have to do something with these fucking dudes. It was honestly the antithesis to Saturday Night Live, which yeah. was just this you know PG bunch of garbage at that point and it was just so badass so but you know, now this is but, just but a good this reminder kind of, like it, it created this this place right where everybody kind of got together and we all became genuine friends yep. and like because roundtable came That's out right. of that 
original, like that first grouping well, with you guys meeting Murder Fist Energy and that turning into what would become CCR, which would become LPN. That's yeah. right. And Roundtable, Roundtable was Kevin Barnett and I, RIP Bird Luger, we love you forever. Um, Kevin and I wanted to do a podcast together. Mm-hmm. So we approached Marcus and we're like, let's do a show. And I had all the equi- I had all the toys. You did everything. <laughs> As always, we're like, I think he'll do everything if we don't let him know that he's doing everything. <laughs> um, and then slowly but surely, it added, we added Eddie. And then Jackie was like, I want to be on the show. And then Jackie was on the show. No, she the- didn't say, I want to be on the show. She, she came she in on a guest, and then she cornered me in my home and said, I'm on the show now. <laughs> Which is also the story of me getting on last podcast on the left. <laughs> yeah, the Zabrowski's find a way. The Zabrowski strong arm. Well, you just understand. You have to do the Lyndon B. Johnson move of, like, your fly has to be open, and you have to press somebody against the wall. Where the where you guys just heard our last podcast on the left just straight up as horror movie. Just a horror movie podcast. Yeah. Because, which is where the name came from. It's people to ask about that. That being like, it does really just came from you guys. Technically, came up with the name. I had nothing to do with the name. Ben right. came up with the name. Yeah, because we were because at that point we were just trying to do whatever we could as That's far right. as like doing podcasts. It's just like what what are we interested in? Let's do a show about it because we did because Top Hat's older than Top Hat was the second show. Roundtable was the first. Top Hat was the second. Marcus was doing Sex and Other Human Activities. Um, I I had a sports podcast for a second. For like, a second, we were just throwing anything that we could against the wall, and the way. That last podcast ended up taking off was because obviously once Henry came aboard, Henry and Marcus had a had a mind meld that was brilliant, and they were like, "We're gonna get this shit into some dark territory." And the first time I realized how dark it was going to get is episode fifty um, with Toy Box Killer, and I was like, "I don't know, guys, it's getting pretty dark. I don't know if this is funny." <laughs> we and, really uh, toyed, it, but it was it was it was uh, you guys that really took it to that next place. Which honestly, nowadays it seems uh, it seems. Almost uh, uh, cute because now, of course, as we were talking about yesterday, there is a home flipping show called Murder House now. Yep, and I think it's Murder House Flip. Yeah, that's that's coming out Ugh. soon. It's like, oh Jesus, we Christ. are oh, we have God. slid into the mainstream. It does not make any sense. But no. we actually started because we realized at some point that there is a there is a um, whole wealth of material in the world that because and that's when I was really truly getting obsessed with Coast to Coast AM mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we were uh, Marks and I realized like we will then just truly flip the conversations we were having about the subjects we were interested in into the show and then it was probably around episode I want to just straight up say I think it was about episode 100 right mm-hmm, where we were like all right now we're going to make this uh, research fucking up to our eyelids show. I yes. had, well, I I can tell you which one the, the research flipped on me um, was. It was around the seventies. I think it was like seventy four, seventy five. The Satanic Panic episode. Mm. Yes, when you the first time we all sat and read a book. Yeah, the, for the show. Yeah, <laughs> that I, like I sat down because we were uh, Henry wanted to do an episode on the Satanic Panic, and I just picked up a book called Satan Silence, uh, which I was reading, and it was like absolutely fantastic, and I wanted to talk about like all this shit on the show because there was so many the satanic panic is full of so many weird funny details it's so much weird shit but in order to really talk about those funny details to give you guys um to give you guys subjects to joke off like you have to tell the story you have to right. give context to all of this so that was kind of the first episode that you know at least i realized like that we needed to like i have to give these guys a story i have to give y'all a story how in long order have for we had the it. outline the outline, the outline. I guess 
I mean, it's evolved. The outline that I use for every episode has evolved over the years. But when did I mean, we start using one? Start using one, I think, around maybe Ed Gein or maybe long before that. I don't, I really don't know exactly when it flipped, but I know we were using as far back as Ed Gein. Like when we were doing stuff like, you know, Bundy and Gacy, like it was, we, it, there was like kind of a loose outline, but not anywhere near like it was now because back then it was, that's part of why we're going to be, um, Covering all those guys in our book while we're revisiting them in our book because back when we did them, we weren't doing the type of like super actual deep dives that we're doing now. And that was one of the questions, actually, to answer it very quickly. The book's coming out in April. It's done. Like we've we've given the the full, (laughs) we've given everything to the publisher. It's done and it's uh, it's coming out in April. Yes, and this book is going to be amazing. And when Marcus says outline, and this is for the people who want to get into podcasts, it's not an outline. It is a full script. Uh, we just Mormonism part four, for example, was twenty four pages. This is what um, we're writing so, in a week. So this is what you have to because we do get that a lot. Be like, what's your advice for you know how do you break through? And it's honestly just that much amount of work is required. And the way that we've been able to sort of like first of all grow as as entertainers and as people, but we we stay above a lot of the fray. Because we don't just focus on ourselves. No one cares. I always hate that when it's like someone who's like, this podcast is all about me and how I feel. It's like, no one really cares. But that's kind but of what I'm almost com- scared about this episode is that I don't, it's very I know, strange don't to see like naked. <laughs> revealing. We could yeah. do it, it once every 376 <laughs> episodes. Yeah. How's about that? But you know, if you want to do a podcast, have content. Uh, and then from that, so then people can learn and it's not just about you. Um, and then people can learn about you through the content. But also, Marcus and I, when we go into producing the episodes, a part of it is understanding that the entire either series or the, the entire series needs mm. an a act one, act two, right. act three, but each episode also needs an act one, act two, act three, mm-hmm. needs to move and move into place, which is we're still working on yeah and and it also like it needs a perspective because like in in the like every single time when we're working on an episode and especially like when i'm about to start when i'm about to start writing a script because i write at at the very least 15 pages every single week like for the last like i guess 200 weeks or so like i've written a yeah 15 page script like every every single week uh and what at least me and henry found is when we didn't talk to each other before I started writing, when we didn't like really talk through like what the perspective, what angle we wanted to come from, what our what our different thoughts were uh, on the subject, uh, we would have to re-record episodes because when yep. me and Henry went You've into done it, that a couple times and it well sucks. It, Dicks. Oh, <laughs> it yeah. sucks. It's so it's bad to like great, write, but... and you go in and you like you record it, and it's like an hour and a half long. It's an hour and a half, and, and you know you, it's sucking. You know you have you're to doing do it, it, but you're still you, doing. Yeah, it. you're uh, locked. You're locked into it the whole time, and then and then there was always like we haven't had to do it in a very long time, but there was always this uh, routine that we would have to go through. We'd all have to go through the motions where like we end the episode. We're in the middle of it. We know we're gonna have to re-record it. We end it. We know we're gonna have to re-record it. But I always have to say like. Okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to start listening to it and then I'll let you guys know. Yep. And then it's like I get 20 minutes in and I send the text. Well, we got to do it again. Yeah, Ben, you like, made too many Ruth Bader Ginsburg references. We're going to have to cut this episode. <laughs> so just to sort of put a button on the question of like, how do we meet? Uh, that's basically uh, it. It was through friendship. It was very organic. And, you know, this is just a good reminder. If you do want to be in the arts, um, don't burn bridges. 
Um, be open to people. Find people that inspire you, that motivate you. Don't hang out with, because there's a lot of bitter comedians in like year one. Yeah. Like you'll, you'll <laughs> oh, no, I remember be like, I've we been doing comedy for eight months. Oh, I hate the grind. It's like, we're not even in it yet. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we've never performed in front of a crowd. So, you know, if you do want to be in the arts, just surround yourself with people that inspire you, that motivate you, encourage you, and people that truly make you feel um, good. And unfortunately, smoking cigarettes is a really good way to make <laughs> friends. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, that, yes. that's the thing. Is like, I'm, I've yeah, quit smoking cigarettes like maybe like four or five years ago, but I do not regret starting. That's uh, how I met Andy Richter cigarettes. was because I smoked cigarettes. <laughs> there are things that you <laughs> learned. Yeah, well, so, um, many, let, so many I things. Ask, all right, so here's another general question. Okay. Here's another general question that it was that masked many times. How do we not kill each other? On the road and in life in general, because we do genuinely have a very, we have a very stable friendship. And I think a part of what we do is that we're really, we have gotten good at having uncomfortable conversations and flatly expressing the problem that we might be having and and then having like, and letting it go. Like, yeah, yeah. honestly, all of the problems that we have, I would say one of the bigger issues is I tend to be late. Um, which on the road can be a pain in the ass. Uh, but even that's like not the biggest issue. None no. of us are doing heroin in the bathroom. No. Our biggest uh, are truly the biggest fight we've had. And it was and it was a genuine fight. And afterwards, you're just like, what? was about food on the road in various places where we travel. <laughs> about how Marcus, Marcus only wants pizza. He only wants pizza. No, I don't but only want pizza. Is- that's what you guys don't fucking get. I don't only want pizza. No, you're going to say you I want do- a hot meal. I know exactly what you're going to say. I want but, a hot meal. I know. But a hot, hot meal, is, and a hot hot meal, meal translates to pizza. Yeah, well, and, that's because a hot meal of pizza is the easiest hot meal there is. Just saying a hot meal, to me, just sounds like a homeless man could take a shit in a bucket and put a sandwich on a <laughs> meal. That's a hot meal. But Kissel and I, sandwich people. Sandwich people. But I don't, because you get, you get sustenance, you get bread, you get some meat, veggies, some you vegetables, meat, some you, cheese. You never know what you're going to get with a sandwich. You, you never, never know what you're going to get with pizza. <laughs> Honestly, we are now fighting. <laughs> but also, I actually, because a lot of people, I have like, several questions being like, why are Marcus and Henry always visiting museums and Kissel's always drinking alone? And it's not, that's not true. Honestly, oh, no, Kissel and I drink a lot together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, they never city. But I, you know what it really is, is that we've realized as three adult men, uh, we can't control each other's schedule. And no. the idea of me being like, okay, boys, we're meeting at the museum at 135. Let's and ruin late, this vacation. Yeah, like, because also Natalie has expressed to me, because I am one of those i'm a hyper i'm weirdly despite what you'd think about me i'm a hyper planner i'm one of those when we go on vacation i was like then i'm in it here and then i want to go over here and get coffee at this very specific very specific patisserie because i read about it at my timeout magazine and then i'm gonna go over here and but natalie show me i have to go more with the flow you're gonna love berlin they're very regimented people as well no i saw a lot <laughs> of better or for worse oh, so berlin gonna say a lot of small mustaches. I love yeah, Berlin. Which I think is a, I think Oof. it's an iffy choice. It's an homage. <laughs> it's an homage. Well, another um, thing that we've also done on the road that we did from the very yes. beginning, even before we started, like even when we were only doing like 50, 60 people, like when we were going to Washington, D.C. and doing the Washington, D.C. podcast festival. Oh, my festival, God. That was which I'll always, which I'll always, which I'll always love, but it was in an office room with for fluorescent lighting. And to be fair, we did headline. Yeah, we did. Oh, we, we did. did. We did. <laughs> It was just a piece of computer paper that was hanging off the wall that just said Washington DC podcast festival yep, yep, just taped yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, and our you know, and our longtime uh fang like Claude came out like oh, yeah. was back oh, when he was guy, in yeah. high school, he had his parents drive from all from like six hours away. Unreal. But what we did from the very beginning, always, 
separate hotel rooms. Separate. It doesn't matter if you're in a Motel 6. Just spend the 79 bucks <laughs> because really, you know, all of us, we get along very well because we're all actually very intense people, but we're intense in different ways. Yes. And so it, it really is like a perfect marriage. And, I just um, can't sit in your shit smell. Yeah. No, I don't want to. Also, that was a question. Who farts smell the worst? And I'm going to say I was the number one candidate, but then Henry has taken the mantle. But now Marcus yeah. is definitely the, the mine are pretty bad now. Yeah, because I had to start taking. I don't know supposi- what happened to him. I had to start taking suppositories for my bleeding asshole that came from stress. Right, and the suppositories. One of the uh, side effects is extreme flatulence. <laughs> because back in the day, great. like I'm talking, like just, just relatively recently, I went to the bathroom in the green room, and you all said I had to go to the doctor. Yeah, you did. Yeah, because it was like it was bad enough. It, it was smelled like the lava of Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what was happening. It in smelled there. like the. It smelled like the inside of your stomach lining is sliding out of your asshole. It was. So basically for that. <laughs> that's the goal. That is that's the goal. goal. And I also like on the road, like I'm also the type of person, like I need alone time. Absolutely. Like I've always been We that all way. like that though. Yeah, we, we all could, need. Kessel I'm goes a, on his adventures. Intensity. I go on my little adventures because I'm the food boy that needs to go to the food experiences. And sometimes mm-hmm. people will join me. Sometimes I do not force anyone to no, join me. No, thank God you don't force us to do that. No, yeah. but you wouldn't do it. I do. I do. I go to record stores when we go to different cities. Uh, you, the two of you, have come with me on record shopping uh, trips exactly once. Oh yeah, no! Well, I don't understand why you don't just buy them online. It does sort of feel like because I do feel bad because it's not like you know like Nally and I were in Stockholm at the at the ladies' clothing store Big Bock, and I'm just kind of looking at my phone, standing while she's she's doing shopping. I felt like that watching Marcus, and I'm just hassling Marcus because right. he's watching me just going. Huh. Oh, so yeah. that's a good one? Like, <laughs> that's a nice one, huh? I mean, oh, I'm God. picking out clothes for Natalie, which has been like, this one's nice. And she's like, yeah, it's because there's holes for the tits. Shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's called crotchless panties, Henry. I can't wear these to exercise. Well, it's um, because I'm going there not knowing what I'm looking for. And I'm I know, looking for surprises. No, that's why I don't want to I don't want to like harass you. So to just put a little button on that when it comes to friendships, just know each other, give each other space. And again, just hang out with people that you truly enjoy. Um, this was for you guys, and kind of touching on what we spoke about a little bit earlier regarding how we all met and sort of one of our bonding things. We we did get a few questions about chaos magic, and people are wondering, are you guys still experimenting with chaos magic, or was that more of a, uh, of I don't want to say phase, but was that an experiment that you did, and is it gone, or what do you guys think about that? Let's, let's uh, get into it slightly. So... I, I will admit, because I do believe, because the idea is that you lose all potency with magic rituals if you do not talk about the things you got from them. I do not believe that our success or what I, what's happened to our sex, it does not have not anything to do with some of the works that were done when we were, Marcus and I were both like fervently into chaos magic. Mm-hmm. So we were really concentrating in for a period of time. It was about 2015. So what were you guys doing in, in that time? Well, I put together a whole, for, I did for Heroes Reborn. I legitimately, I tested for Heroes Reborn. I fasted for two days. I set up a, literally like a vision board of mm-hmm. what I wanted. I create a sigil. I jerked off onto the sigil. Right. I, and I fired it, and I sat and stared at my phone with a Heroes Reborn like thing that I made in front of me, just waiting for the phone call. Did you think about maybe making it bigger so it wouldn't have gotten canceled immediately? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, sir, is chaos magic. <laughs> 
but it, but it also it, le- it led to a lot of chaos in my life yep. that that mm. was afterwards it really was true like seeing phantom things weird like literally weird wind going mm. through the apartment especially because i was in toronto at the time isolated right. and things were really really crazy but then i met natalie and all that kind of stuff kind of like things got solidified in my life I mean, for me, I was doing uh, chaos magic for mental health. Like, I was trying to use it, like, because I was trying to find any way to break out of my own brain and to try to just to be able to live my life, yes. you know, in a normal right. way where I wasn't just fucking absolutely insane. And at the time, like, I couldn't afford therapy. Like, I couldn't, um, like, I was on medication, uh, but, like, I couldn't afford to go to the doctor a lot. Right. Uh, so I was wanting to try anything. And I, you know, was using, like, masturbation sigils. Like, I was using it for um, focus. Uh, I was using it to just try to not lose my mind on a daily basis and it did mess things up a little bit it did make my mind a mess for quite a long time because chaos magic is chaos well, and i was trying to use and i was for because for me like i was thinking like how do i bring order to my brain i'll use chaos i'll try to approach it from that angle uh and what i i don't do chaos magic at all anymore because i eventually figured out like the best thing for my mental health is therapy uh, I mean, and, me too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah, of th- course. Ther- yeah, therapy and and the right you know medication. Well, although I well, but I because I I would also like I would use it for like thinking in metaphor a lot and thinking in um, like trying to find some sort of path, some sort of shortcut. Because I think that's what I was looking for at the end of the day. I was looking for a shortcut to mental health, and that's when I realized like there is. There is no shortcuts when it comes to mental right. health at it's all. It's an like, everyday it is, work. Yes, it is an everyday work. It is a long, long, long process that never, ever, ever ends. Well, especially when is, you've got like w- like me when when you're bipolar, when it is a medical condition that like I'm going to be dealing with until the day I die. And right. you're very responsible. Very. Uh, and that's yeah. honestly why you're saving be. lives. Because I mean, in the meet and greets, Henry, you can attest to this. Marcus gets people who are constantly like, "Thank you for telling me." It's not my fault, but it's my responsibility. Yeah, and like you are really helping people, and that's so powerful. But now so. I'm realizing because because of the work that we have done, because of my experience with chaos magic, and because now of our like deeper and deeper reading as things could deeper, deeper, deeper. <laughs> you can't fucking stop, it. can't stop it. No, you can't. Um, no, we did this to ourselves. Actually, we did this. <laughs> but uh, now I. Uh, I am now truly starting starting to understand that chaos magic, it is easy. And that's kind of what it is. And it's a really good introduction. But actual magic works are a lifelong commitment to discipline. That was a part of why, and I'll reveal this too, where it's like I I added working out into my life and work during things and specific things into my life to create discipline, things that I need to stick to. Mm -hmm. Because things I started reading about, the idea of wanting your words to have more magical potency is that you you need to develop a dependability to yourself. Like you can't lie. You can't say make promises you don't mean. Like right. tr- like try to really hold yourself accountable for the things you say you're going to do and if you're going to and, and like f- try to do what you can yep. to honor the things you're saying because if not your words hold no meaning and then literally they will hold no magical power and Absolutely. I think that the real thing is the right hand path magic that's the actual the other side which is an actual deep commitment which one day i will get to do and that's as simple as if you say you're going to go somewhere go there 
I mean, you know, and don't, or just don't be honest with be yourself honest and or say, say, I don't want to go. If I don't want to go, say, I don't want to go. Yeah. But as a, uh, but now like knowing that, like walking around Edinburgh, like seeing those dudes being like, maybe one day I can retire to the UK and just become a fucking wizard. Like just become one of these guys as he's shambling around covering yeah. runes. Yeah, yeah, yeah right of course. In no way. Agree. And no one will ever confuse you for like a little leprechaun. You don't have to be like, I know I'm a wizard. I'm not a leprechaun. I am me gold. I keep my gold in the bank. Yeah. And for me personally, I didn't do so much chaos magic. But uh, you know me, I'm not much of a religious person because I grew up extremely religious. And organized religion, I think, is uh, one of the massive detriments of humankind. But uh, for me, it was secular humanism mm-hmm. that I got uh, that I really fell in love with, and uh, that sort of. If you look at Satanism, there are tenets of Satanism that are basically just secular humanism. Satanism's fun. Um, that's it. That's why it's the fun one. It's the fun one. But so for me, that was it. Where you realize like you're responsible for yourself. You're in control. Um, but because you are in control and you are responsible, you also have a lot of responsibility. Um, to make sure that you are, you know, heading down the right path, and it's not a god telling you this or that or what how to be. It's you, mm-hmm. and so it's about taking personal responsibility, which I think is a, a tenant of chaos magic as well. Uh, it is all that's kind of what it comes down to, and same thing with Satanism. It seems to yeah. all kind of boil down to these ideas of like you you are in charge of yourself and right. your own territory, and you and you also responsible. You yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's really what it's about. It's like you're getting whatever you put out. So understand that intrinsically. That is what always happens. So it's why I don't feel like I feel like that people get upset. I think we're in a we're in a time period right now where it seems that uh, people the bad guys are winning a lot, it yeah. and they're like, winning with your anger as well. Yes, I mean it, obviously you have to be uh, upset when you see things you disagree with, but don't let anger take over your life because then you're paralyzed. As people who are entertainers. Um, we've had a lot of friends who just had to stop entertaining because they were so angry. And it's mm-hmm. like you have to be stronger than that. Don't let the anger take hold. You can continue to do what you do, and that's how you beat the evil. Well, you also just know that you, when you give them that energy, they feed on it. They love also, it. They get theirs. I do believe that people live in a world of a hell, in a, in a hell of their own making all the time. Well, we might go visit the bunker where Hitler offed himself. Uh, speaking of getting theirs, yeah, it's man, now fucking a parking throw lot, down some. Yeah, it is a parking lot. We'll still throw down some peace signs. It'll be fucking cool as shit. Do a fucking <laughs> hip hop shoot right in front of it. It's gonna be great. Absolutely. Fly from your grave. From your grave. Well, Marcus, I kind of want to ask you this question. Uh, obviously, we had a massive death in the music industry. Jan- Daniel Johnston died. So we have a question here. What is everyone's opinion of the late, great Daniel Johnston? And I will just do what I have often done in my life. I will co-opt Marcus's opinion on this. <laughs> so whatever he says, I agree with. You will co-opt my personal memories of Daniel Johnston? Yes, I will, because now they're also mine. <laughs> no, Daniel Johnston means a lot to me in, uh, for a lot of different reasons. Like, Daniel Johnston was the... The very first live show that I ever saw. Um, my first concert was Kid Rock, but my oh, first. Oh, you're a cool guy. I mean, naturally. <laughs> you got but, to. That's where the girls are. Honestly, I would have gone to that. No, I would I'd go to that right now. Yeah, yeah Kid Rock and Power Man 5000. It was a fucking great show. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but my but my first like show like in a club was Daniel Johnston. It was totally by accident. Like I was on Sixth Street in Austin when I was like. 16, 17, uh, like my, because my dad is also, uh, I got my love of music from my father. Mm. Uh, and so when we were, like, we were out at, on uh, in Austin and he just took me out on 6th Street and back in the late 90s, if you were on the street with your dad, uh, you could just go up to a bouncer and say, This is my son, let's 
can we come in? And nice. the bouncer would say, yeah, of course, he's your son. You can do whatever you yeah, want. You're obviously a good father. <laughs> come on in. Get in there. He's having yeah, a good yeah. time. It's, a, it's 1 a.m. on a Tuesday night. Let's go. Why not? Um, that was still when you could go, like your dad could give you 20 bucks to go buy him smokes at the store. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That's what I always did. I went to Mr. Moon. I'd come back with a whole sack load of cigarettes. Sounds like you're from the <laughs> 1950s, but this is relatively recent yeah. history. Yeah, I go get stuff snuff for my dad all the time. Um, but but it, it wasn't like, you know, he was out there and like giving me a beer or anything like that. It was just like he loved live music. He knew I love live music. And so it's like, let's just go out and just go and see some cool shit on 6th That's Street. That's awesome. And back then, like 6th Street was pretty still pretty fucking cool because you still had emos there. And so we went to emos down 6th Street and Red River and just walked in. And it was Daniel Johnston just happened to be playing with Danny and the Monsters, which was his project in so cool. the late 90s. Uh, and I had never seen anything like it in my entire life. Like, it was such... A strange, affecting personal performance. Was this back uh, was when he so wasn't raw. playing it was guitar? So amazingly raw. When he wasn't playing guitar, he was just singing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This, he just had a, a uh, he had a little music stand in front of him where he was like reading the lyrics. He was going like it was also during a time when he was going a little more intense, a little like he was screaming a little bit more. Uh, and then like after the show, he just went over to uh, his little table. And I went over and I got to talk to him. I got to meet him. That's and awesome. he was just, he was the nicest guy. I was, because I told him, I was like, I can't believe, like, this is so cool. This is my first show. I've never seen live music really before. Uh, like, it's so cool to see you. And he was just like, thank you. Thank you so much. And then, That's awesome. And I bought his CD. Uh, and I still have that CD, like to this day, like that he had printed off on a computer, like it wasn't on a label or anything like that. Uh, and so badass, like getting to see him and like and knowing absolutely nothing about him because I remember. Uh, and I still like left thinking like, man, I saw somebody that nobody's ever heard of before. <laughs> yeah. And it was like a year later, I was watching MTV, yeah, uh, like MTV Two. Uh, and it just so happened like that there was a Daniel Johnston like because you know he was on MTV back in the day uh, and they showed like an old clip of him right. and I like called my dad I was like dad Daniel Johnston that's actually a guy that's actually a dude like people know <laughs> dude. who he is and we got, like, that's we, so cool and then when I got to college and got to like college radio like I found out about like I heard like fun in 1990 and so like awesome. all these you know fantastic Daniel Johnston albums and then when the devil and Daniel Johnston came out like when that documentary came out where he talks about his bipolar disorder and what he went through and mixed with schizophrenia right. like that like because it was that documentary came out a little bit before I got my diagnosis for bipolar disorder so it was like it was very helpful for me to watch that movie and to see somebody else go through it were this, your parents able to understand what that was bipolar even, disorder yeah were they, god yes it runs were. in the family Okay. No, it's a it is a it's a hereditary thing. So because my, I could see that being difficult to try to tell your Texas rancher father, be like, oh god, I no, 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 th that's, cool. that, no, 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 that that is no that that I think that would be a stereotype. My yeah. my family is extremely understanding of mental health and is very serious. Like we're very serious about it. Right. Because I like, think right. if I told my father how I was feeling, he'd be like. That's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think, no. My dad literally, I, I remember calling my dad when I was like 19. I was just like, I don't like the way I was raised. And literally my dad was like, go to therapy. And I was like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, I guess we'll end this conversation. <laughs> no, it was my father who recognized it for the first time. Because I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I, I didn't know what I was going through. But it was it was my father who recognized it. It's like, okay, you need to get help. Like it's like It was one of those things like, unfortunately, you got it. 
Like yeah. your brothers didn't get it, you got it. So and, you know, now you got to take care of the shit. This so, also segues into a really good question that someone asked about how do our parents relate and and react to our work. My <laughs> mother will text me if she sees someone in our shirt. Yeah. Yes, yes. And my mom like, got a free car wash. Yes, <laughs> she was really excited. So I guess yeah. the best way to say it is they don't listen, they don't fully get it, but they're proud. My parents love it. They listen to every single episode. Like they, your yeah. mom is a true fan. My mom is a true. Oh, fan. your mother yeah. is lovely. No, no, She's no, so, Marcus's mom, mom is, a, is a city gal. She is a fucking <laughs> hoot. Yeah. No, my my parents have been extremely supportive of me, like for for my entire yeah. life. Like there, there's never been a moment where my parents were like, oh, I, I don't, I don't know about that. They're like, all right, is that this is what you believe in? This is what you're passionate about. Good. All right, let's let's cultivate. My parents, I would not be here without them. They've been extremely supportive. Well, none of us would be here without our parents. Because ah. <laughs> they had to boink. Yeah, um, they fucked but, each other. No, they did. Shh. <laughs> yeah. But I will say, just an extension of what Marcus was talking about with Daniel Johnston, um, the fact that you thought he was like, this is just my dude. Yeah, this like, is my guy. We get that reaction at live shows, where like when we first started doing tours, we'd get some people being like, I didn't know that like other people listened to you guys. Yeah, yeah which like, is yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Which is really just a testament of being able to actually make a true connection with someone. Yeah. I you hope know. so. Yes. Um, yeah, I got to see Darren Johnston uh, four times. Yeah, I got to see him that one time. Get some, uh, I ended and began a South by Southwest one year with Darren Johnston performances, and I got to see him uh, in New York once. Sweet. And, so cool. Yeah, and he, was, and he was amazing every single time I saw him. He was so good. And uh, at one of those Austin shows, I got, his parents were running the merch booth. Yeah. yeah. So I got to buy a tea, <laughs> like got to meet his parents and, and got to... Uh, yeah, it was very. It was very sad when he died. It was very, yeah. very sad. Because after we found out we were in Birmingham, and yeah. so yeah, after after we did the the meet and greet, I went back to uh, the hotel room and I listened to Down Johnston all night and read comic books and had my own li- and texted with my friend James and about a nice little we, memorial. Yeah, That's so we both nice. loved Down yes. um, I did all my work pretty much in a vacuum. Uh, because my parents really couldn't uh, understand it. Well, I grew up. I was a bit homeschooled. Mm-hmm. And so my mother had us do theater, and I was cast as a tree two oh, times. I really was. God, you would have been but what a big, angry it a, tree. It was a talking tree. <laughs> so I have been talented for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I kind of did. Um, my mom started. Yeah, this is. Yeah. It's a long story. I can't even remember. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> All good. Let's yeah. move on. Yeah. Um, here's a good, here's a more general conversation. Um, can we explain the process? How do we pick schedule topics and how much research do we generally do for each episode? Uh, well, picking topics, usually, yeah, me and Henry have a uh, large spreadsheet uh, of, God, I think right on the spreadsheet's got like, what, 60 or 70 topics on it? Yeah, uh, and then we'll just kind of randomly pick. It's also like if something piques our interest at a specific time. Yeah. And then we have ones that we know that we want to hit that we also need our, we know are going to take a lot of time to put together. Then we have simpler episodes that we know that are easier to put together if we're in a really bad time crunch, especially mm-hmm. with touring all the time. And the book was also like pretty pretty difficult to juggle the book and the the weekly Ugh. podcast schedule. But you know we but we've still got like these like Mormonism is one that like we kind of waited until we had uh, time uh, to go into it. And now also like we have. Um, a great team of research assistants now, yes. like people that really help out with that, and that that helps us to do like bigger series, and it helps us to do like more in depth shit. Yeah, uh, where those those the research, yeah, Joel and, and Rachel have been yeah fantastic uh, yeah. lately, and, and I will say and we've had a lot of research assistants throughout the years, but those are the those are the ones that are that are working with us now, and they've they've helped out a ton. They're awesome, and I will say it's a you all do a great job of keeping the 
shows alive with different content. So after this Mormonism series, we're all going to take a breath and we're going to talk about aliens. Yes. And I was speaking with some fans about, you know, it's like the, when we do these really intensive, like Scientology or Jonestown, come back with something like aliens. And it's strange now to even say this, but like now our lighter episodes are about serial killers. Sometimes. <laughs> because like, the, it's serial like, killers are jo- by far the easiest episodes. Yes, because it's like covering these cults, like the Children of God cult. Well, I'm still traumatized by that series. People maybe could understand that we have to come up with a spin or our perspective on the topic. So with serial killers, it's a little bit easier because you're doing character portrayal. So you can kind of find the gestalt or whatever it is that you want to talk about, what's like the main drive of this person from our perspective, and it's kind of easier to boil down. But something like Mormonism, like... We're we are truly at like I I've seen some like little critiques of our show that they say you guys just read a book and talk and it's like well actually it's not true like most of the time it's several sources there's normally like a main source that we like to direct you towards that we used but also so you could buy the book and you can also do, right. do your own fucking research because I think that's super important but stuff like Mormonism it's not just no man knows my history it is also like countless websites people's testimony mm. everything that we can get on the internet that i can fucking fold into my brain try to read the book of mormonism try to do all <laughs> these kind of stuff same thing when we did scientology right. it's not just like yes it's a book about l ron hubbard but then it's also the book that's a, like it was the the book that was debunked about l ron hubbard it's the from the perspective of scientologists onto l ron hubbard so you could see how they look at him right so you can also incorporate that because all of it is fodder for material well and that goes to another question that we received about henry's characters so how much do you pre-plan when it comes to those? Because obviously, you know, your Israel Keys, your uh, that's final truth. Like all of these characters are very iconic now, starting with Detective Popcorn. I think that was the first one that really took over with BTK and the Hot Dog Squad. But that was um, that but, was improvised. Most- but what what do you what's your process of finding the character and, and you know sort of how do you interpret the people? I don't know what you do, Kissel, but sometimes when I get because Marcus will send me the first draft of the script, and then what I'll do is. I'll normally, I have already been building either a character, depending on whether or not I have decided, because certain characters, certain stories, the main character will be something I will play, and certain stories, the side characters are more important. It's more to develop, like almost like a stupid ensemble. Like Minnie and Nanny and H.H. Holmes, for example. Yeah, where I didn't really play, I did H.H. Holmes, but mostly we were setting up the environment around H.H. Holmes. Right. Where like L. Ron Hubbard, I was doing a little bit more of an exact impersonation of L. Ron Hubbard that I was working on, but then something like Joseph Callinger, when that episode came out, I came up with the voice. I mean, obviously, it was a complete ripoff of Bernie Madoff. Uh, what's it? Bernie Sanders, uh, a mixture of him and Larry, all, Larry David. And Larry yeah, David. Because right. like, Henry will sometimes, like, when we're working on the episode, like, Henry will talk to me about, like, kind of like run by the character, like, this is what I'm thinking about doing with this character, and, and we'll, you know, we'll discuss it. Like in the week leading up to the episode, up to the actual like recording, and I have my own series of notes. So I'll start a notes, and they, I will start a series of notes, and I will definitely write down jokes that I think of as I research through the week. And then I, when I get the first draft, I will sometimes take those little bits that I come up with, and I'll place them into where they would be right, in the draft right. in accordance to the research that I've done on my own. Because mm-hmm. then I and, come it from one side, and then Marcus comes from it from the more official side. And when it comes to the book, just to plug that book it'll be out in april i think it's a perfect uh 
interpretation of how we actually do that in the in the live show. I because Marcus so. has the bulk of the um, uh, chapter, and then we kind of come in with our little jokes. For me, obviously, I read the outline, but I just like to be totally in the moment, and I like to listen, and then I like to make my little bits and skits when I feel like it's getting a little bit too heavy. <laughs> um, and what part of the question then that, that you brought is like, what do me and you think is the most uh, underrated Henry Zabrowski character? And I would say for me, it is Helen. Uh, from the Black Widows episode. Yes. I love those episodes. <laughs> I love those episodes. Uh, Helen, Helen, the old, the sixty-five-year-old Los Angeles woman who, uh, um, what is it, murdered uh, a series of homeless men in an insurance scam because yes, that, that's right. That, that voice, was a great like, one. That's another voice that, like, I'll just kind of think, "Oh, Helen, I'm Helen." Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I love doing that. <laughs> like that, that, that is my favorite underrated character. Rise from your grave. From your grave. Um, why hasn't there been an LPOTL episode where the research was conducted solely by Kissel? We did a <laughs> we did a little bit with Benoit. Yeah. And then with um with uh West Memphis three. You did yeah. know a lot you about did. that Yeah, yeah I did, know a lot you, about true I know a yeah. lot about criminal justice reform and stuff like that. Um I don't know. I mean I think it's because it would probably not be up to snuff for Marcus. <laughs> Honestly, are you guys well, ready think, for a well oh. I think if you want an episode that's entirely researched by Ben that's called Abe Lincoln's Top Hat yeah I mean like honestly that, I do know a lot about is. politics yeah that's what, that's, that's my what passion ben does. So. That, that, that's Ben's passion that's what Ben knows Ben knows politics and the, you got a whole show for it yeah so you I guys do, I do ready for blabbing. a question that's gonna probably get us in a lot of trouble let's do it what's your opinion on the death penalty do <laughs> you want to do that I'm against it okay I'm I'm against a, it? I've been I'm against the death penalty since I was a child I'll never forget my dad asked me what I thought about the death penalty when maybe I was 11 years old and i was like i'm against it and he's like why i was like i just don't trust the government i don't think they should put people to death and then uh, that's it yeah too many people too many innocent people uh get uh murdered i was actually speaking with someone in sweden about uh, who was from norway yeah and uh, from oslo as a matter of fact so i was like with brevik i was like so that dude as a matter of fact this was at the airport mm-hmm. just so happened to be sitting next to a fan and he i was like but brevik is gonna get out in 21 years right like he doesn't have life but apparently he's like no he won't because they do have a clause where it's like if he's a public risk they stay in jail for life yeah but i was like but he's still getting treated pretty well and he's like yeah this was a chance for norway to prove that everyone is treated equal under the law he's horrible but he still gets treated humanely now of course this is where very testing because it's like he's a horrible horrible piece of shit monster um who did horrible things but i think that um there's something i very good about that because in the u.s we live in we don't have a justice system we have a straight up punish system yeah and there is no reform. There is no rehabilitation. We just want to see people suffer. And uh, a lot of these people are in there for reasons that uh, are, you know, of circumstance. And it's I am quite sad. deeply conflicted only because I believe there are some people that are literally monsters. But is it life a death sentence? I mean, I we're just all going like to die. <laughs> birthdays are for the dying. No, I know Funerals that. are yes, for the I, living. But I'm just saying, like, what, what's the point of the government going in there and be like, I'm going to inject you with this fucking needle? It's like, you're going to die. Look at the world that we live in now. These A lot of these characters get built up. I feel like it's almost just their sheer existence of still being around allows them to sort of... I. It's weird because magically, I believe in the idea that you can... 
house them and watch them wither, right? And like the way that a BTK just sits in jail and withers, and you can write him a letter, but you have to fill out his little oh, form. He's such and a you piece have to do of his shit. You have to have a pre-interview with him. It was he easier to, to get Dan it. Aykroyd on the show. Yes. <laughs> where so that's the kind of thing. And then I'm very conflicted because there's certain people where it's like you know I I think that they should just be xed out. Like the people who do certain crimes, they should just be fucking like you don't deserve to be around anymore. Just your sheer energy being in the world is a bad thing but then it's also who we expect like who is the person that's allowed to be the judge of who should live or die I these mean, judges a, are maniacs because you're starting to get to like a, a series of degrees here because yes. what you're saying is that there is uh, w- what that g- gets to is uh, if you, like you can only execute someone if you're like a thousand percent sure that they're guilty but you no. can't execute execute someone that you're only a hundred percent sure that they're guilty right. like it has to be equal protection under the law because that so many so many innocent people get murdered by the state every so single many. year. Uh, it happens again and again and again. There's so many. There's been so many cases that have been proven. Uh, guys who have been executed, they've been later exonerated through DNA evidence or through yeah. you know cops saying like, yes, I, I lied on the stand. You know that the people that have been put away by like false testimony. Yep. Like it is just you know humans. A human justice system is not. Infallible. That's no, why we have to have a robot justice system. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yes, if you do want to hear more about the justice system, I talk about that quite a bit on Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. And uh, yes, the, we live in a very vengeful, vengeful society. Mm-hmm. Well, that and, I do uh, agree with. I do believe the idea is that it's expressing. But then also, is it not good to purge? The inner violence of That's all a human movie. beings. I mean, but I'm not talking about the purge. But is it not good to sort of do a ritualistic purging? I don't for think the, violence is ever the way to cure violence. I yeah. don't know. I've been doing it for forever. I don't it's not it, working. I don't but, think it helps. I don't think it helps at all. Like, but I, it I used mean, to be a willing person. We used to sacrifice up to the to whatever. Oh you my god! As when the, we, your anthropomize version of the universe, whether it's like the Mayans and the Aztecs. Well, the Bog people, people remember that when we were at they the, were the, chosen to be sacrificed. They lived a great life. Where maybe we should actually do that. Where actually it's the best of society that should choose to be sacrificed to the universe for the ongoing welfare of us as a species. I think we've moved. Beyond that, yeah, I think super moved, superstition. Oh, we've I know. Moved, we've moved. Do you want to be sacrificed? No, I. Not me. I'm not one of the best of society. <laughs> <laughs> Malala. No, it's funny to go. To, <laughs> yes, great. I went to the Swedish History Museum uh, yesterday, uh, and it was really funny that like their section on like Christianity, like their the Christian iconography section that they had was. I mean, some of those beautiful things because I'm I love Christian iconography and like old 15th, 16th century artwork. Right, uh, and. What's funny about Sweden is like they were talking about Christianity like it was in the past. Yes. Like oh, well, come like, to America. These things that, that, that we used to believe in here in Sweden. And it's like, oh, no, there are a lot of people who still are very much into oh, this yeah. shit. We oh, had yeah. a meeting, a straight up meeting in Sweden. With, 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 we had a meeting. And the first things out of the one of the first things were like, well, this is a godless country. Like the whole thing. And I was just like, <laughs> so refreshing. We cut off your Johnson. <laughs> Thank you. Um, here's a silly question. Can Mr. Fantastic satisfy Galactus sexually? No. 
Why wouldn't uh, he be able to? I don't believe that Galactus, as he exists now, has a sex drive. Possibly before, when he was still a man, uh, he did so have a sex like drive. So he's like fucking the Mormon god? Well, the Galactus origin story is very messy, and not many people have... A, and not everyone has agreed on exactly what it is, but I do not believe uh, that Galactus uh, has a sex drive, and if he did have a sex drive, uh, then the Silver Surfer would have taken care of it. Oh! Oh, because it was like his slave, he was, right? No, well, he was his herald. All right. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. okay. Galactus cool. has come. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, God. Oh, God. Well, and what do you mean, Mr. Fan? What, using the ultimate nullifier? I don't understand that Wrap question. it around his cock. <laughs> oh, no, it's Mr. Fantastic. He should be able to do something. That's what he was saying, that he could be able to stretch, and he'd be fit around his dick. Uh, and fit and around be, his well, dick, yeah. I don't, I don't believe that, that Galactus is a sexual being but at, if, the, at this time. At as the, Gal- he will, he as, might get it back if maybe he has a massive Viagra. Before, when he was still a man, yes. Or not a man, wherever, whatever planet he was from. Do you think Galactus's penis, though, would be, <laughs> if it did have a penis, would be strong enough to tear through the whatever Mr. Fantastic is when he's stretchy? No, because uh, nothing, as far as I know, nothing has been proven to tear through Mr. Fantastic. So it wouldn't tear through, so it might. He he's just going to wear be, him as a condom. Yes. Then. Well, I'm sure that Mr. Fantastic is not infinitely stretchable. I'm sure he has some sort of breaking point. Interesting. Yeah. Oh. Although unstable molecules, the material from which the Fantastic Four's uniforms are made, uh, are theoretically uh, infinitely stretchable. Well, this is sort of a question that has to do. Uh, it's kind of sexual. Well, this is a sexual question. Um, are any mass shootings out there sexually motivated? There's a people that. This is an interesting series of questions because they want to say like, what well, is it? Some is it a form of sexual release? I think in America, it has become. This is obviously just fucking my opinion. From what I'm looking, what we've read and what we've seen, it is now just becoming a way to get heard and that it's actually closer to its, its missionary killing. Mm-hmm. It is a. It's about making a point. It's not like a serial killer who views a lot of times a serial killer. What we've you know like obviously the, the again opinion, but like a serial killer, um, it's a private series of rituals and almost artwork. It's a personal expression where a mass killer is doing it on purpose to be picked up by the news. Quite. What a about bit. someone like an Elliot Rogers? Obviously, he wasn't hard driving around there, but it was certainly. I mean, sexually motivated because he was an incel. I feel like but, the gun actually replaces it. It yeah. does replace the, the cum. Yeah, we, we mentioned this on stage during our live show as well. I, I think it comes from a place of anger. But you know, but you're talking about like serial killers versus mass shooters. Like serial killing is defined by you know three or more killings with a cooling off period because it's about uh, a release and uh, distinct mo. Yeah, a distinct mo. It's about a release and it's about something that can be replicated. That's the thing about serial like serial killing is something that that has to be like they replicate it over and over and over again. That's why some of these guys uh, take trophies. Why some some of them return mm. to the scene of the crime because they're trying to replicate that feeling. But mass shooting is a one and done deal. Like it's an explosion. It's, it's literally a, calm. It's yeah. an ejaculation of it's, violence. Yeah, and and I'm mm. sure many right, of those right. guys are hard as the Dickens. You the think entire so? Entire time. Yeah. The Virginia Tech. Uh, um, Sung Cho. Sung Cho. Man, just the it's the uniform. It's also depend the way they do it too. I think, and I think that now we're going to see now that we have so many different flavors and shades of mass shootings. And then you can really see, but they they seem to all kind of go along the lines, which is they have now they believe that they are that this is their shout to the world. Yeah, but right. I mean, I but I don't believe Howard Unruh was sexually motivated in any way. No, he was right. just like, completely. He had just um, I think the term is cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Uh, yeah, no, I think that just, was it. No, he's just 
angry. Right? Yeah, he's just a, rage he's a, is a very he's a, powerful. He's angry. Drug. He's narcissistic. That because that's a, the other thing too about these guys is that it's it's a large streak right. of narcissism where it, they do not care about anybody else but themselves. And uh, it's they want to put their pain on you. It's an insanely selfish act and it's also people who literally view the world through television or through the internet and they don't actually experience reality so they don't have any connection with human beings and uh, they really do believe all of the bullshit that's spread out there that all humans are horrible and they're the ones who are going to purge purge the society of the evil ones that's why if you see if you see a dude with a Heath Ledger Joker shirt on, buy him a cup of coffee. <laughs> like, honestly, just buy him a yeah. cup of coffee. Oh, try man. to say hello. Try to befriend these people. I'm very excited for Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, by the way. I've been looking into it even more. My His, controversial the way that opinion did, is that I fucking don't want to see... I want Batman. No, it's not a... I know. I don't understand this about you. It's about the bad guy. It's about the Joker. But it's, too, it's king of comedy, but without Batman... It's just king of comedy. You know what I mean? No, it's not Batman. Batman's going to be be somewhere. I hope he at least shows up or they talk about the Batman. No, because it it already shows in the trailer that he is uh, talking to Thomas Wayne, which is Batman's father. And so if Batman's father is still alive, that means that Batman is either Bruce Wayne is either either had been not born yet uh, or Batman has not been born yet. Yeah, Bruce Wayne is that night in Crime Alley (laughs) after they watched after the Wayne family went to see. A late night showing of Mask of Zorro. Oh, did they Aww. not think that that was going to be a wonderful night? Yes, they did. And then, unfortunately, in the alley, Joe Chill took down Thomas and Martha. Wayne. I thought it was Jack Napier. <laughs> that's oh. well. That's a different. That's a it's whole different not Jack thing. Napier. Was, no, no, no. That's just for the movie. That was just the movie. Oh. Yeah, Joe Chill. Convenient. Yeah, Joe Chill is the in the in official canon in the comic books. Joe Chill is the guy that killed. But it's also why I don't like Gotham. Wayne. I don't need to watch fucking Batman Muppet Babies. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I want. I don't, I don't need like to see. Gotham. I no, don't like I Gotham. Do I like rule all these people yes. without Batman. No, I understand that, but this is the Joker. This is kind of cool. Joaquin Phoenix is going to be untouchable. He's going to be great. Obviously, that is that. that is He's a unreal. brainer, my friend. I right? agree. But, I agree. You know what I mean. All right. Well, let's see. We do have one question about my punditry. Mm-hmm. Do you guys want to answer that? Oh, I'd yeah, sure. So how we feel about you going on Fox News? Yeah, what do you think? I, think I, get could... this, I, I get a lot of reaction to that. I think you can do whatever you want. I'm glad that you don't produce for them anymore because I think that you, that made you – it was put you in a different frame of mind in a different set of thinking, and you know that. That was like a part of when you have to fully generate content for the channel. Well, it was, a, to be fair, it was the comedy show Red Eye, which was like, you know, it was, it was so a little light, bit different. And it was so dumb. And not dumb. Time, it was so light. It, it was, was just. It was dumb. It's goofy. It was. But then, of course, Trump changed everyone's. I saw. I had a lot of really good friends of mine who I knew were conservative, but I was like, all right, at least they're not like stupid. Yeah. But then Trump. Kind of changed a lot of people's brains, yeah. And then it became extremely difficult uh, to sympathize. So after Trump won that election, I was like, I cannot go to News Corp uh, in this fa- in this way. But you know, but you I don't, crush it on the is, show now. The question is for you guys, though. But I, I mean, I love going in there and arguing. Honestly, I love it because but, it's like my favorite thing in the world. But when I watch you do your hits, I know that you are you are unfortunately the you're the reasonable one. Yeah, like when you go crazy. in there, you're the one that actually is like. So they need people like you to be able to go in there, and you you have to be on Fox. I just want. Yeah. I also just don't want to represent like people who are a little bit left leaning, like such an elitist, like such elitist assholes. Well, like, you the, can be the, cool. That's the funny thing that you know you're on uh 
on Fox News, like, you are the crazy liberal. You. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. <laughs> like Ben Kissel is the crazy liberal. Just not a racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all it means. That, that's it. I, I mean, it's like, of course, like, you know, I like, I, I appreciate you going on there and, like, giving a different perspective. But, I mean, personally, I mean, I do think that Fox News is uh, genuinely evil. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they're evil. I think that they are uh, evil in the most cynical way in the world where it is manipulating people's brains and mani- manipulating people's uh, thoughts and emotions in order to make money, which is uh, one of the most evil things I think uh, people can do is manipulating people's emotions and thoughts and not caring about the consequences of doing that just because you need a bigger paycheck. Uh, is I think, and you don't do that. I know you don't no, do that. No, I, I would Fox, also say, But Fox though, News has been doing that on a daily basis uh, for decades now. Television and They have ruined news. lives. They have ruined families. Uh, they have changed people irreparably uh, forever. And I, I truly believe in in the future, people... I mean, I know people look back, look on it now like this, but in the future, I think people will truly look at Fox News as a, a truly evil force in the late 20th early 21st century. and there's a great documentary about that as a matter of fact something about like how fox news changed my dad or something like that but is Kissel, called. you but- actually you really illuminated something for me when you really started working there at first before trump you were really it's true it's like all people on all channels on every one of these news channels they are essentially actors there are they're all actors in there. no they're all actors no i i agree with that but the problem well. is having the wherewithal to know it like my my dad is sucked in a vortex of fox news because he just watches it and he thinks trump is funny you know i mean like it's that kind of thing where right. we have the idea of the blending of entertainment and facts has become so insane i mean you're talking to three people we you know we do edutainment that's what we do but a right. part of it is trying to really draw the line between well these are the facts these are our funny opinions about the facts and these are jokes like what do we do to we i feel like it's a constant balancing act that's why i don't go on fox news as a comedian because i don't think politics are very funny and if you listen to able against top at probably notice that i'm a funny guy (laughs) but i'm not like trying to tell jokes or be satirical i'm trying to actually provide information because these are very serious things um but i will say working seeing how the sausage is made of television news was fucking fascinating yeah and no one please god do not get your information from tv news you can pick up tidbits every now and again but it is 100 entertainment yeah it is not real the way that they frame everything look no further than the lead up to the iraq war if you want to see how the fourth estate has been bought and sold 10 times over so please do not get your information from television news but watch it for entertainment it's editorializing and maybe you can learn something along the way. But if that's the only place that you're getting information, this is why we have Donald Trump. And I also loved, uh, I loved hearing the inside stuff from you when you it's were crazy. like really doing it. Like one of the most illuminating things was when you said you were about to go on uh, the air with a guy and he was he was telling you his actual opinion. Oh my opinion. God, I was so pissed. He was telling you his actual opinion and then he went on. Uh, this was the, about torture. So yeah. I was doing Kennedy's show. It was on Fox Business. And. You know, so this guy who's a general, he was telling me, he's like, he's like, of course, uh, waterboarding is torture. It's like the worst thing you can never go through. I was like, okay, cool. So I'm watching in the green room and he got on television. He's like, nah, it's not torture. And he went, it's just like, kind of like drinking water too fast. Just making jokes. And I was like, you motherfucker, you just lied to the American people. And uh, that was another realization. And I saw it happen on HLN also. 
um, where people say one thing in, in the green room and they go on television and they just blatantly lie. And, uh, you know, it's weird. I met a lot of conservative po- politicians and meeting them is very bizarre. Um, because they are different people in many ways. And they all look like me. Same little bodies. Yeah. Which is unfortunate for us with godlike bodies. Of course. That's what (laughs) cherub-like gods. Yes. But anyway, Um, so that's a little bit. uh, And if you want to watch my Fox News clips, you can go to Ben Kissel on YouTube. i got a whole channel arguing with people. Okay. Here's another good one. Do you think we've ever been properly investigated by the CIA or the quote-unquote men in black? Do you think that we are on, like legitimately, do you think that on some level we are on a list anywhere? Well, there was a period of time hmm. when me and you, Henry, were Wasn't talking. Wasn't the 9-11 episodes? Yes. Around the 9-11 episodes, there was a period of time when every time me and Henry would call each other uh, on the phone to talk about the, the episode where we would hear a click. The series of clicks. Like we would hear a, a click at the beginning of the conversation and then the second we started uh, the second we were done with uh, the 9-11 stuff and started having like friend conversations like just about like our lives there would be another click Interesting. Uh, and they and I had never I did not hear it on any other phone conversation that I had with anybody else uh, I and then it s- abruptly stopped yeah because like now we don't do later. because we don't hit that's as the only much. thing that I can see yeah that was the one I mean besides the fact that I get pulled by security at the airport it's because you're a maniac <laughs> but I am I am don't you couldn't visibly tell I'm a maniac yes you can why because you look like a maniac I do dress uh, outlandishly you gotta <laughs> time to time <laughs> you gotta but, look but I get pulled all the time yes because you got frazzled hair it looks like you're just ready to blow up a plane but we also don't do the same conspiracy heavy stuff that we used to do no Which because you- it got too fucking real because once Alex Jones became mainstream, it ruined conspiracy. Well, it stopped being fun. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I really mean this. Was when uh, I, I would like to get back to it when things are different. Yeah. Let's put it that way. When sure. When people change, can still have fun with it and play with it. Yes. Then I would like to go back to discussing uh, those topics. But I would say, you look at CoIntelPro. You look at uh, CIA um, operations over the years. I have a lot of friends who are Democratic Socialists. They all firmly believe, like half of them are <laughs> CIA agents. <laughs> who knows? But you just but live you in public. At, that's well, my whole thing is like I'm not like I I don't I think there's a massive invasion of privacy it's happening at all times of especially course. it's more obvious honestly in European countries it's way more obvious the CCTV shit is way more obvious coming in out of customs you can do the, the fast express where you just get your picture taken but I'm a professional entertainer I love getting my picture taken and I also <laughs> there's a list where you can find online where I'll be at any time, whatever. Yeah. So I will just be. I am. I live in public. Right. Yeah, we but, all you know, do. The, so I, I'm not worried. I mean, I, I we quite possibly have a file somewhere, but maybe. I would also. I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the CIA doesn't give a fuck about us. That's the thing. Yeah. And honestly, though, but people, you got to remember, like the Patriot Act is very real, and the government has a lot of power and a lot of ability uh, to track you. And so, don't pretend like they're not. Because they definitely are. Yeah, get and, a uh, VPN, folks. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. I mean, I actually feel truly bad for actual introverts, for people who do really want to to be left alone, because it's not possible anymore. All right, uh, what would you say? One of your most formative life experience has been like just a one that is either for good or for bad. What is something that you you ran into that was like, oh oh no, or 
Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, for me, I think you guys probably already know this answer. When we started doing foster care when I was 12 years old, immediately grew up. All my toys were had to be given away, which is not even close to the worst thing that happened. Our first two kids were both molested by their father. So I immediately realized that, like, dads fucked their children. And that was quite uh, an eye-opener for a 12-year-old Ben Kissel. Um, so I saw the worst parts of humanity. I remember one girl we had, she had a bunch of burn coils on her butt because her mom used to sit her on the top of the stove when she was crying that didn't stop her from crying i'll yeah. tell you that much no um and i was like why is that happening so that for me was like shit dude people are evil and that's probably why i have a very dark sense of humor and probably why i started drinking at 12 years old yep uh, just I, to relax to, uh, literally <laughs> i was all i was a hager detective by 12 <laughs> I would say uh, one of my fairly recent, I guess, something that just comes to mind, I guess, if we want to relate it to the show, uh, was a live show in Baltimore uh, mm. about, I don't know, like three, four years ago, something like that. The very first time we did a bigger show. Oh, my uh, God. It was awesome. Because like I'm not a live performer. Like I've, I've been in radio for almost 20 years now, but I uh, but I got into radio specifically because I wanted to do entertainment. I liked doing entertainment, but I didn't like people looking at me. Of course. Uh, and radio was perfect for that. Um, but doing live shows was like a, a something that I definitely had to ease into and get used to over the years. Uh, but going on stage in Baltimore at Auto Bar. That's I, right. I love Auto Bar, love Baltimore and all that. Uh, but, you know, it was the first time going up in front of like 300 people and the fear that I had walking out on stage was like nothing I'd ever felt in my life. Like, right. I have to go out here. I have to not fuck up. And for me, it was always like, I don't, I, I can't disappoint you two guys. Like, I can't, like... But you know, that's why we yap. I know, but I was like... We yap, but, you're always safe. We do do yapping. Like, yeah, but I can't let... But I just didn't no, want to... No, of course, like, I, I just understand. Did, like, I can't let these guys down. Like, you know, I no, depend I on the them. Way. They depend on me. Like, I can't let them down. Uh, but, it's like jazz, but with comedy. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the words you don't say. That's right. <laughs> and there's like a list that we you can't... Yeah, it turns out you can get fired if you say like a lot <laughs> yeah. of those words. Yeah. yeah. But it was about like, you know, just being up on stage and being able to like breathe in and breathe out and getting through that intense stage fright and like just saying like I don't even know what I said but like I said one thing that got a laugh and I was like okay yeah relax. I can do this like I can I remember I can, you said why do, do we drive on the parkway <laughs> <laughs> and park on driveway how do you know if yogurt's gone bad yeah. <laughs> oh Mr. Warnke <laughs> um, what about you Henry alright let me do two are you a, I say bad slash neutral was I had a bad trip one, one New Year's Eve right I just ate too many mushrooms and it under I understood because by then I'd already been ex- experiencing hallucinogens quite a bit but I end up like I thought I was dying. I got into a car. I tried to leave this party. We had all burnt our shirts in a bonfire and then we were cold. <laughs> and yeah. then I, I remember Eddie had a Santa hat on and he was like, some people got to go. <laughs> he was like being real easy writer. It was like one of those nights where the music was too loud and everybody was getting way, way, way too fucked up, like mixing a lot of drugs. And then like I tried to go home and then I remembered like I was like, I'm straight enough to get in the car. And then the car was too too big and I was like way too small and like I got home and I had a full on like scream cry inside of a shower thing that the shower was gonna make me better and then I ate a couple of Zanny bars to try to pass out and then I woke up gurgling on my own blood I had, I had a full nosebleed in my sleep 
And I woke up like, oh, like g- g- spitting up all his blood. And it sent me in a downward path for about six months. But it showed me just like the power of the human mind. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was so it is it's important. I kept doing hallucinogens and out. Now it takes good prep. I'm happy yeah. that you didn't stop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. But you have to because then you learn also that's a part of this. Right. Which is weird. It's a weird lesson you get. Well, I had a positive mushroom experience that I know, like, the first time I did mushrooms, it actually connected me to humanity for the very first time. Oh, when I, when I fucking, I remember, because I was literally, I was reading Heinlein, uh-huh. I remember writing a note being like, I totally grok what grokking is now. Like, immediately, <laughs> I was like, fuck no, yeah. I was, like, listening to the Don Ellis Orchestra, like, watching purple notes come out of my uh, fucking uh, speakers, eating some fucking uh, Papa John's, because I was delivering for Papa John's. Ooh, fucking cool. yeah, yeah, fucking some... You're not supposed to be high in your own supply, though, man. Yeah, I know, bro, but I did anyway. <laughs> Two pies a night. Always <laughs> Damn, free. Bro. That was when you were chonky. Yeah, I was a little, yeah, I was about not 40 too. pounds heavier, yeah, nice. in, yeah. in college. Yeah, but I just fucking listened to that shit. I went to a libertarian meeting, like, like I wandered into a libertarian that'll, meeting. That'll do it. Like uh, fucking tripping balls and like fucking gave like a big speech to silence. <laughs> uh, just like a big speech. Like, like what I think. The first podcast. Like that is amazing, I, what, dude. This is, what I, this is what I think human free will is all about. Okay, let's get into it, fellas. And then I just uh, like gave the speech and then just fucking like hit the table real hard and go, well. I'm out, boys. <laughs> <laughs> it was a um, fun, it was a very we- fun afternoon at Tech Terrace. <laughs> afternoon, even yeah, it was afternoon. Yeah, it was a Friday afternoon. I love it. What was your second one, Henry? Honestly, getting married. Getting All married right. was a very beautiful part. I didn't realize what it was, how positive I was. Good, like not that oh, I did. Oh, it was wonderful. But yeah, but, but it's like it was nice. What it brings to your life. It's like yeah. a human ceremony that was nice to be a part of. And of and course, you had two really weddings, and the second one was at a castle, and it was very sweet. It was second was a party. The second one was a party. Um, all right, we got one more question. Let's do a goofy one and wrap her up. Um, have you guys ever received any bras or underwear in the mail? No, we don't. And the only thing, yesterday on stage um, in Stockholm, Sweden, what, you know, Neil Diamond gets bras thrown on stage. Yes. Underwear <laughs> is thrown on stage to all David Copperfields of the world. Literally at and a man. We got two books. A man threw two books on stage. That's what we get. It said books. UFOs in the Third Reich. <laughs> and it was just a book with a huge swastika on it that just like flapped onto the stage. And it was just like, this great. Great. <laughs> Thank this you. This is what we just get. Just about to go into Berlin. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I, I actually do have a question that I wanted to, a question that was for me that I wanted to answer. Okay, please. From, uh, it was a hometown question. What yes. are What are some things you missed most about Lubbock? And yes. I would say the only thing. The only things that I miss from Lubbock is I miss uh, my friends and my family. Yeah, because I have a lot of family still in Lubbock, and I miss my friends, and I miss my comic book store. I miss Aww. I miss Starbucks and comics. Uh, they have since moved from Avenue Q over to Indiana. I haven't been to the the new store yet, but if you're in Lubbock, please go to uh, Starbucks and comics for all of your comic book uh, needs. I worked there for a couple years. I went there for like five six years. Like Starbucks and comics is one of the most important places Star in my Bucks life. Starbucks and comics. Starbucks. Starbucks. Yeah, Starbucks and comics. And comics. No, no, okay. the, the owner helped me through some very. Very difficult times during my first mental breakdown. And uh, yeah, I miss Starbucks and comics. And the other question, what was your favorite restaurant in the city and why is it Thai Pepper? Uh, Thai Pepper was not my favorite restaurant in the city. Thai Pepper was too sweet, too Americanized. (gasps) My favorite place was Chu Chai over on uh, 19th Street. It is traditional Thai food. They do it in the spicy Thai style that like fucking hurts That's you. what I like. like it's, where I I love de- it. it's where I developed a taste for spicy food. Chuchai is fantastic. <laughs> I also still love uh, calzones from one guy from Italy. 
And the uh, third Lubbock question, were you ever in one of the Lo-Fi Ralph's Records commercials? No, I worked at Ralph's Records for a period of time. Still no Ralph. Ralph is a good man. But I was never in one of his commercials because Ralph likes the spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> also, you know, real quick, someone asked me UFO books for starters. You want to check out, honestly, uh, Richard Dolan's UFOs in the 21st Century and watch read uh, Jacques Vallée's Passage of Magonia. I think they're both very interesting. And also, just read the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov. Mm-hmm. All right, there it is. Well, thank you all so much uh, for sending in your questions. And yeah, we'll do this once every 370 episodes. <laughs> so we'll be back at you in about 11 years. Um, thank you all so much for listening to this. Honestly, we love you all so much. Thanks for coming out and seeing our live show. Uh, we have absolutely adore being able to travel the world together so um i guess that's about it guys that's it that's right, it man we, we landed her in the harbor as we always do hail i your... wonder what we said i don't know never forget hail yourself hail satan again magustalations hail me mormonism part five coming your way oh yeah can't Next wait week. the dirty dirty life of brigham young <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.